So many folks are looking for a better life, better things, a better way, maybe a better job, maybe a better house, maybe some looking for better friends. Maybe a better school. But many folks overlook the best betters possible. Now, there are 13 betters in the book of Hebrews. And our English word, better, comes from a Greek word, Crichton, And it means stronger, mightier greater, superior, more excellent, noble. So we're going to look at 13 betters today and try to have a little better understanding. Now, obviously, to go through the book of Hebrews, we're not going to be able to focus on all of the important surrounding scriptures and verses that are Uh, relating to the topic that we are going to be considering today. So uh, bear in mind that this will be an edited view of the book of Hebrews as we consider those 13 betters. The first one occurs in Hebrews, the first chapter and verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now the subject is Jesus Christ. And if we went back to the earlier verses, we will see that he is the one that is designated by the Apostle Paul. And the indication is that Paul, although it's not stated exactly, but Paul is the writer of the book of Hebrews. And uh, concerning the Son of God, who was the express image of his character, And we see here this word being made so much better. Not that he was a created being, but the word means, um, and it's used in many, many different ways, made, just like we know we use the word made or make, even though it's not created, we designate something as something, or uh, we, as one of the Greek definitions is, ordained to be, and some translations translate this word as become. And so... His divinity, His purpose in life, His Godhead, all of the things that Jesus Christ was made Him so much better than the angels. And He uses a number of verses to establish how great the angels are and how great man is. But notice that this one, Jesus Christ, designated so much better than the angels, has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And then to show how that we, the sons of God, humans, will be able to be even elevated above and greater than the angels because we're going to be able to be inheritors, co-heritors, co-heirs with Christ who inherited everything. And so we're going to be in the divine God family above even the angels. Now we know through studying and through history the great and the might, powerful that the angels are and all the things that they can do and accomplish 
in the history of man and the revelation of their creation for these uh, untold millenniums of time. But the inspiring thing is that number one, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is above them, has a better name, and we are going to be able to be even above them and share in His greatness as we are co-heirs with Him and inherit everything. Now, Jesus was so great, and we could spend so much time, and we have for years talking about the greatness of Jesus and all the things that He was on this earth as a prophet and now as a priest, functioning as a priest, and then when he comes again as King of kings and Lord of lords, and we sang those hymns today about the greatness of his mighty kingdom and of his kingship, prophet and priest and king, no one else functioning in those three great categories as Jesus Christ is, was the prophet, is the priest, and will be the King of kings. And so, as a son of God, he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And so we could spend a lot of more time talking about our inheritance and what we're going to share with him. But we're going to go on to the next verse here. And we'll find that it will skip ahead to Hebrews, the sixth chapter, and verse 9. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation though we thus speak. And so Paul is talking here about what he is writing of in preceding verses about a warning of the apostasy and of the carnality and of the sins and how some had fallen away and have gone back to the uh, things that they had once turned from, crucified. And so Paul is saying, but beloved, we're persuaded better things not to go back. We have a choice. We can go forward or we can go back. And no one wants to stay the same. We want to advance or to uh, go back. And we don't want to go back. We want to go forward. But notice, uh, what are those things, better things, than what he listed in the preceding verses that accompany salvation? Look in, just in the following few verses here. We'll do this in verse 10. Their work, labor of love, that they've showed to the uh, saints, the ministering to the saints, uh, their full assurance and diligence of hope unto the end. Verse 12, that you be not slothful, followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so we see a description of the character and the, uh, we will say, the busyness of a, create, of a, of a Christian in all the good works and good deeds and the things that we're laboring and things we're serving one another, rather than just falling away and drifting away and going back to those things that we once left. We don't want to uh, do that, but we want to know that we are persuaded that we are participating in those better things that accompany salvation that we just listed. Now, the third one is in uh, chapter 7, verse 7. And without all contradictions, the less is blessed of the better. The less is blessed by the better or of the better. 
And if we back up, and the whole context of uh, Hebrews 7 here is talking about the Levitical priesthood, and uh, they have a right to take tithes, and the whole thing is about a discussion of tithes, and the uh, difference between the superiority of the Melchizedek priesthood and how that the less who was Abraham, as he's mentioned here before, Abraham paid tithes to Levi, uh, paid tithes to Melchizedek, and uh, the Levites have a, a law to take tithes of the people, but that's transferred to Melchizedek, the Christian ministry, because of the superiority of the Melchizedek ministry. And so Abraham, who was great, but was blessed by Melchizedek, who is better. And so the Levites are blessed by Christ or by the Melchizedek priesthood as a better priest and without all contradictions. So we can't con contradict that. The greater blesses the lesser. The less is blessed of the better. And so we could, uh, we've talked in times past about the uh, law of tithing and the, uh, the context of this chapter here in verse 7 but let's skip up to verse 19 for the law now we want to remember this is not talking here discussing the ten commandments but the law of tithing that was given uh, to uh, the Levites uh, verse uh, 19 for the law made nothing perfect but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw near unto God and so in the flesh by obeying God, we can have a hope in physical blessings and being a part of Israel and having a good life and having the good uh, blessings of God on us. But we have a better hope than just the physical, and that hope is the spiritual, an eternal life, eternity. And so we have the hope of an, of an endless life ahead. And... Uh, we could go into other scriptures in the, in the Old Testament and scriptures to uh, verify and to support some of these things, but I'm going to uh, leave that with, with just saying a couple of things here uh, uh, about a blessing. The uh, word bless in the Hebrew is the word barak, B-A-R-A-K. And this is an interesting word because the Depending on how it's used, it can mean either a negative or a positive. It can either mean a blessing or a cursing. And the word bless, barak, means to kneel as an act of adoration. It also can be translated blasphemy or to curse, to invoke God for good or evil, according to the intent of the speaker, the context. And so that word can be either used for a cursing or a blessing. Now, the uh, next one here in uh, the seventh chapter, there are three uh, blessings here that we see in verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Now, we're entering into the introduction of several things. A testament is a will. And when you, when you have uh, a will, you have uh, terms or conditions of that uh, bequeathal or qualifiers. And uh, 
we know those who have wills made uh, that uh, a will comes into uh, play when there is a death and when the heirs become inheritors of whatever the terms or conditions of that. And sometimes there's some restrictions on who can participate and who, who is qualified to participate in the estate of what is being bequeathed. And so we have a better testament through Jesus Christ, a better will, not just the physical things of this earth. We know that was one of the promises was that uh, there would be a possession of this earth. But we have, as a part of that testament, a possession of uh, a eternal life. Now, let's go on to chapter 8 and verse 6. But now has he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. And there's two in this verse here, which was established upon better promises. Now we know there was an old covenant, which was a covenant is more than just a testament, more than just a will. It's a contract. It's an agreement between two people. So we have, uh, we, we, we use the word more contract in our uh, terminology than we use a covenant. But a contract is an agreement between two people, between God and between Israel or between God and the person. And so he's the mediator of that better covenant. And we know that the old covenant was limited to physical blessings. The new covenant that is to be uh, participated by uh, Israel and the other nations and by us as we enter into that new covenant that was prophesied and promised you know, through Jeremiah and through many scriptures is better promises, eternal life, eternal uh, possession of this earth, eternal uh, spiritual blessings, uh, laws that are written in our heart, uh, being a part of the family of God in reality, knowledge of uh, God in all of the things that he has uh, uh, promised us that we would understand and uh, being able to have forgiveness of our sins and no longer be subject to this flesh. All of those things that we uh, enter into in that new covenant. So when we take the Passover, we are taking emblems of that New Testament, of that will and of that new contract and of that relationship that we have established with God through obedience and through agreement. We agree to do our part. He agrees to do his part. We've talked about this before. God will never deny. He will never let down. But men, you know, we fail and we come short. But uh, thank God he is uh, a uh, loving, kind God. And we, and we could go into uh, so much about uh, the fault being with the people and the, and the defiling of the conscience and the, the spirit of God needed for us to be able to become perfect and to be able to keep the terms of that uh, testament and that covenant and to endure to the end till we uh, participate and receive those uh, better uh, promises that are uh, due, due to us who, and we could go through uh, so many verses here if you wanted to read the rest of your chapter here 
about the covenant and about the participation in that and about God's goodness and mercy. But let's go on here to the next one now. That's in chapter 9, verse 23. You can see how uh, difficult this is to just isolate a few verses and to leave so many surrounding uh, verses that are important context. Each one of these subjects could be expanded and to more fully understand not only the book of Hebrews, but how it is affected and is related to uh, so many other scriptures here. But uh, in chapter 9, verse 23, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now, what he's talking about is animal sacrifices and the temple tabernacle services and how the uh, items and the furniture and the items of the tabernacle were purified through offerings and sacrifices, you know, that were uh, dedicated under the terms of the old uh, uh, covenant and under those... Uh, uh, guidelines laid down by God. But here, it was therefore necessary that the patterns or the types, the patterns, because remember, Moses was told to uh, make a pattern of all the things that he saw in heaven. So when the tabernacle was laid out, he is duplicating uh, those items that we know, the furnishings and the, a lot of the pra practices, the procedures, the dress of the high priest, uh, the different uh, sacrifices that were going on that typify that our typology of heavenly spiritual things. So it was therefore necessary that the patterns, the physical things in or the spiritual things in the heavens should be purified by these, the, the physical things that were a type of the heavenly things. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, see, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So Christ is a high priest. He didn't function as a priest on this earth. He functions now as a priest in heaven. And so the things that he is purifying, the better things, us, and the things uh, that are spiritual, he is making uh, and has made better through his sacrifice. All these things have been, and this is where, you know, it takes, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm leaving so much out. This is so important to understand the difference between Christ's physical, I mean, Christ's spiritual sacrifice and the things that it accomplishes and the physical things that were going on in the tabernacle with animals and, and the things that were a type of, of what he was doing. So, we can look and study like in Leviticus and, and those uh, tabernacle practices and we learn a lot about God and spiritual things and how heaven is and how uh, what it looks like from the physical things that he's given us. Okay, let's uh, go on here to uh, uh, verse 34 in chapter 10. For you had compassion, <clears throat> excuse me, of me <clears throat> in my bonds. Verse 
and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Now, this verse doesn't say that we are going to heaven. It would be a typical Protestant understanding and appreciation, Catholic and Protestant, that uh, this would indicate that we have a better possession and we're going to heaven. Remember what Jesus said that our reward to lay up our treasure that is reserved in heaven for us? So we're not going to go to heaven, but in heaven it's set aside and reserved an eternal uh, reward for us. And so the more good we do in this life, the more we're laying up a reward there. It's like putting the money. We, we get a paycheck and we go to the bank and we put money in the bank and put it in a savings account and it's there. We're not in the bank. We're not in the vault. We're not in that savings account, but our money is there. And so we're laying up a reward in heaven that is uh, being preserved for us and so uh, we understand that uh, our reward, Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21, is where Jesus said that our reward is reserved in heaven. There. Okay, the next one is in uh, chapter 11, verse 16. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city and so we understand chapter 11 of Hebrews so we call it the faith chapter because of the faith of so many different individuals that are mentioned and uh, their uh, anticipation of uh, a blessing that they hadn't received yet. But now they desire a better country. We used to phrase this many times. Some of us have heard this for so many years. And uh, some, it's a new phrase. But uh, you remember the wonderful world tomorrow? The world of tomorrow. We use that to describe the, the millennium. And uh, beyond the great white throne judgment. And then beyond in this uh, new heaven and new earth that's going to be created and the glory when the Father comes down and when we're with them forever and ever. And so we're looking for that better country that has a city in it, New Jerusalem, a heavenly spiritual uh, city. And when this whole physical world becomes the spiritual seat of God's government and his throne with us there what a glorious time and you know we when we compare what so many look for with anticipation of uh, being in heaven and uh, not knowing for sure what they're going to be doing or having uh, whatever just you know whatever they're going to be doing there but we know we have a destiny and we know what we're going to be doing for a long time. And then beyond that, whatever God chooses, uh, that's going to be even greater than we can imagine. So we're going to be busy working. And it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful, it's a better country, a heavenly country. And so God's not ashamed to be called our God, 
but he's prepared for us a city. Now, in the uh, 11th chapter, we have uh, fortunately three here also, so let's skip up to verse 35. It's talking about uh, the difficulties that some of these heroes of faith um, experienced in their life, having come short, having difficulty, not having perfection in their life. Things didn't go always right for them. Things went wrong for them. Verse 35, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. A better resurrection. We know, and I've explained this before, we know, brethren, the first resurrection is a better resurrection. It's better because we're going to have a thousand years serving our fellow man and Jesus Christ on this earth and being with the Father and Jesus Christ for a thousand years and then for a hundred years ahead of everyone else, ahead of those in the millennium that are going to be, and, and it's unclear uh, of how and when a person that's converted in the millennium when they're, they're begotten as we are, but when they're born again, when they're born of the Spirit, does God wait till later or immediately when someone dies in the millennium? It's unclear. It's not, it's not told us. We just have to leave that open. We'll know. This is one of those puzzles and mysteries that we'll understand a little later. It doesn't make any difference. It would be good to know that uh, a person say, two, three hundred years down the, in the millennium or 50 years or whatever that accepts Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, is baptized, receives the Holy Spirit, uh, live a life of overcoming, however, li however long that is, a good life, blessed, and uh, then they die. Uh, are they then become spirit beings, sons of God in his family and in his kingdom? Or, I, I don't know. I, I'm just leaving that. If you know, maybe... Maybe you can point out something to me that I don't know how. Uh, it's, it's just one of those, to me, puzzles and mysteries that's uh, something good that God has reserved. He's not told us everything. He's kept some things back uh, that we'll better understand later. Whatever and, and however he does it, it's fine with me. Uh, have no, it doesn't make a difference to me. I mean, I mean, it does make a difference, but you know what I mean? Uh, well, I'm getting deep in this, aren't I? <laughs> I better quit while I'm ahead. Uh, okay, uh, let's go on to uh, chapter 11, verse 40 here. We'll drop down a few verses. And, and this kind of summarizes and brings to conclusion uh, all these things that are kind of left hanging here in chapter 11. God, well, in verse 39, and these all, the, the ones that have been listed before, these saints, having obtained a good report through faith, Received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. So, we come first. They're asleep. They're dead. They're not conscious. We know that all the saints from Adam right up to when Jesus Christ returns for those 6,000 years, every saint along with every non-saint that is dead is asleep. 
and God has provided some better thing for us in this first begotten as we share that first fruits of God's salvation, the first resurrection, the better promises, the better life. Because, you see, they didn't have Jesus Christ. They didn't know Him. They didn't see Him. They didn't have the history as we do for these 2,000 years of what Jesus Christ is. They didn't have the rest of the Scriptures and all of the canonization of the Bible that we have now. So they were, they, they, and they didn't receive the promises. They're dead. Abraham, Sarah, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, go on and on and on. All these that we know in chapter 11, we know this, they're dead. They're not conscious up in heaven. I know uh, when I was, uh, <clears throat> because I grew up, my family were involved in the Church of God out of Anderson, Indiana, which is a holiness church, but uh, non-Pentecostal. Uh, and uh, we went to camp meetings and revivals and we were pretty involved in the church until uh, we moved to Arizona in the 50s. And then it was a Mormon community, and we weren't around the church because there wasn't any church of God there. So we, we became pagans and non-Mormons, I guess, uh, in the community there. But I can, because I kind of grew up in the Protestant church and the beliefs, I can remember many times laying out there in the, in the summertime and watching the clouds, and I'd be looking for my father who had died in 1945 looking for his face and looking for him in the clouds and wondering if he was up there watching me and you know because I was believing all this that he was up there kind of watching over me well my father was dead and in his casket and in his grave buried over here in Bristol Oklahoma and no consciousness until he's resurrected in that second resurrection skipping the millennium and coming up in that second resurrection. Now, I say that because it's, it's God's determination. He was a lay elder in the Church of God and, and uh, functioned as a minister there. But uh, as, a, as a lay minister back then, they had so many of those that you know what I'm talking about. So I can't say that he's going to skip the first resurrection. That's God's determination. But most likely, because of what he believed and practiced and, and the way he lived, uh, most likely, according to the standards of God, he's going to come up in the second resurrection. But that didn't take away as a boy thinking that he was alive and in heaven, as many people sincerely believe and understand that. And uh, it's a shock when they come to find out that their loved ones, that they thought was watching over them, wasn't. That they were just dead and, and deceased. And so... God has provided some better thing for us. We have a better resurrection. We have a great calling. We have a great opportunity to be ahead of them, even ahead of uh, some of those uh, family members and loved ones that we think, you know, might be there. And the great news is we're going to be joined with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and those at uh, Samuel and David and those heroes of faith who are... Uh, designated to be in that first resurrection by God. Now, I had a letter from, I'm just going to interrupt this and, and not get too much involved in this. We had a letter from CGOM from a lady, responded back, uh, wanted to know about uh, firstborn and begotten and born again. And we all understand that. The, the world generally thinks that, uh, or the Christian world, when they're converted, they're born again. But we know that a person is converted or begotten when they receive, when we receive the Holy Spirit of God. 
then upon death, and then upon the resurrection, when we're resurrected in the spirit being, when we become a spirit, then we're born again. We're born of the spirit. We're converted now, and we're born again then. So I wrote a letter back and sent her a booklet and, and explained all of that to her. So they're sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. And many of them are going to be so surprised and amazed when they see the wonderful, glorious thing that they've not missed out on. Now, they have to be asleep maybe for a thousand years or several thousand, depending on how long they've been dead, to skip through that, but to come up and to have an opportunity in truth. What a wonderful thing that is. And uh, now, uh, the last one here, the 13th, is in um, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 24. And he lays out here uh, a comparison uh, that uh, when they came to Mount Sinai and the physical uh, mountain that they came to, but in verse 22, you are come unto Mount Zion, we unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn ones, that's us, which are written in heaven, written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all men, and the spirits of just men made perfect, the minds, the spirits of, of just men who are justified, who are made right, who are made perfect according to God's standard, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, verse 24, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. The new covenant, the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than of Abel. Now, you remember, and we're going to look at this just a little bit here. Jesus said that uh, Abel was righteous. And if we back up just a little bit here to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 4. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, as Jesus said, remember, righteous, able. God testifying of his gifts, notice the plurality of Abel's gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. And so there is a lesson in the death of Cain and Abel and what went on in their life. And so let's go back to Genesis, the fourth chapter here. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived, and bare Cain, and said, so Cain was the first, firstborn, the elder, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you wroth? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, 
shall you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door, and unto you shall be his desire, and you shall rule over him. Now, let's notice a few things here about this. As we call out, uh, I noticed in Hebrews the plurality of Cain's offering. Now, I mean of, of Abel's offering. We see here Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering, a mensha. There were five different grain offerings and the way they were prepared. These were bloodless offerings. They were just thank offerings or uh, 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 appreciation offering. They were offerings, not a sacrifice. But notice Abel brought of the firstlings, both male and female, firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. Now, it's restricted and prohibited for man to eat fat. Was all, the fat was all belonged to God, it said. And it was all burned on the offering and, and on, I mean, on the altar. So all the fat, for different reasons, belong, without explaining all that, belonged to God. And so notice the plurality of Abel's offerings compared to the singularity of Cain's offering. And it's like, uh, notice... He said uh, God, when he uh, accepted, he had respect to the offering of Abel, but not to Cain. And so Cain was angry, and the Lord said to him then, why was he angry? Uh, if you do well, want to be accepted? So it seemed to be, and, and let me interrupt right here. Let's just go back to, turn back to Jude. I left uh, a reference out here that I wanted to... Um, read and I don't I didn't write that down but uh, go back to just before Revelation see if I can find that real quick here um, oh yeah uh, in Jude verse 11 this is just one chapter verse 11 woe unto them speaking of evil uh, different uh, examples that he's using of uh, sinners for they have gone in the way of Cain. The way of Cain. Now let's come back to Genesis 4 and look and consider. What was the way of Cain? Was it the sparsity of his offering? He just went out and he just took up whatever came up out of the ground. And he just gave that singular offering. Or maybe he prepared. Maybe he... Uh, roasted some ears of corn or he prepared some pancakes or some cornbread or uh, a cake or uh, which he could be flat because it couldn't be any leaven in it but he prepared some different forms of, uh, of uh, grain offerings and brought that to God but no sacrifice no blood sacrifice and so Abel brought animals for a sacrifice and then God, uh, and it doesn't tell us how, he showed his approval. Was it by a fire that came? Well, we have different examples of this. Fire that came and consumed the offerings. Was it that way that God showed that by accepting in the fire, or was he there in person and accept, you know, Jesus Christ, I'll accept this offering from you, from your hand here. Uh, we don't know that. But what we know this is Cain had a bad attitude. And he argued with God. He even lied to God. Because when he got in an argument with his brother uh, Abel, it says he, they went out and they argued, 
and he killed Abel. And then God came to Cain and asked him, says, uh, uh, where's, where's your brother, Abel? Verse 9. And Cain, Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Notice, he lied to God. That's the way of Cain. Lying to God. How many people lie to God? I, 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 I didn't know about that. God, I, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. Uh, how many bring singularly, instead of their whole living sacrifice, just keep back some of them? Keep back some of their self. Keep back some of their own. How many don't give to God what's his first fruits that he's entitled to? The first, he said, bring of your first. And how many? Well, I can't do it. Uh, just pitily, just maybe, here, God, you can have this part. This, this is the worst part. You can have this. God says, bring the best, bring the first to me. And how many miss out because they don't do that? Well, there are better things that speak to us through this example of Abel and Cain. I shouldn't get upset at scoffers. I'm going to close. In Christ, we have all these things better that I've mentioned. <laughs>